Praise the Lord. Well, do you have your Bible with you tonight? If you do, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're going to begin at verse 1. Uh, we're very grateful that you have stuck with me throughout the course of this meaningless Bible study. Uh, you know, the whole point is, is that life without Jesus, life without Christ is meaningless. Amen. <clears throat> the whole concept behind Ecclesiastes is, is that life is indeed meaningless if this is all there is. But thank God this is not all that there is. Amen. There, there is a future that we have in Christ. Are you there? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let's begin reading at verse 1. Again, I am using the HCSB translation of the Bible. Here we go. Verse 1, a good name is better than fine perfume. In my opinion, anything is better than fine perfume. But a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of the fools is in a house of pleasure." It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of the fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futile. Now let's stop right there long enough to unpack what he's talking about and what he's saying here. First of all, he talks about the importance of character and integrity. That's really what he's talking about when he says a good name is better than fine perfume. It doesn't matter how shiny you look. If you don't have any character, if you don't have any integrity, then you're really not worth a whole lot. And so it's important. And again, I, you know, I talk about this a lot, but when I first came to you six years ago, one of the most important things that we needed to do at that moment and in that time was to reestablish the connection that we have with our community and to do so in a spirit of character and integrity. And so we started specifically doing things on purpose to send a message to our community that this is who we are, this is who we want to be, and we're going to prove that to you by living that out and walking that out. And there were some things that we did that people thought was just really crazy. Really didn't make any sense whatsoever. But when you, when you don't have the benefit of character and integrity, then your message is worthless. No one will listen to it. I, I, you know... It, it, well, I, I won't go there, but it's just some things that we just had to do different. We just had to do different. And the same is true in our lives. And that's what he's saying here. You need to do everything that you can do 
to protect the integrity of your name, to, to establish character among those who know you. You know, I don't really care if people think that I'm a funny guy. I don't really care if people think I'm a good-looking guy. I don't, you know, or an ugly guy. I don't really care if people think certain things about me. But what I really do want them to believe is that I can trust this man. I can trust this guy. I don't, I don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to operate in character and in integrity. And, and, and so Solomon is saying here, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Now, what's he saying there? Why is your death better than your birth? Well, he's talking about the context here of character and integrity. And, you know, when, when people come by and they look at a little baby... They can look there and see the baby, and they say, oh, yeah, isn't the baby cute? Oh, it, it looks like mommy. It looks like daddy. Oh, look how sweet, you know. Oh, he doesn't smell very good right now at this moment, you know, but, but it, isn't he cute? We love babies, but in reality, the baby has done nothing at that point in life that is either good or bad. It's just a, it's, it's just a baby. It's, it's just a... It's an individual, it's a human, but they don't have any influence at all. They don't have character, they don't have integrity. They just are either cute or they're not. They either have big feet or they don't. They're either 21 inches or they're 18 inches. They either have dark hair or none at all. You know, they, they are what they are, but they have no ability to impact anyone's life through the avenue of character and integrity. Now, they can impact your life all right. I mean, they'll Im impact your life. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of character and integrity, they have no way to do that because they have not built up their resume yet. I remember when I was a teenager, there was a gospel singer that used to come around to some of the uh, youth camps and what have you. His name was Sammy Hall. Anybody ever hear of Sammy Hall? Yeah, one over here. Yeah, uh, he, he was big into drugs and, and and that kind of thing. And he he got saved and started recording gospel music. And I, I just I, I loved it. I just loved Sammy Hall's music. But everybody would kind of start. Uh, uh, laughing about the fact that he had this testimony, you know, and he, because he had talked about how that God got a hold of his life and brought him out of drugs and that kind of thing. So now everybody started needing a testimony. Do you know what I mean? It's like it wasn't good enough to grow up in church. It wasn't, it wasn't good enough to be a good Sunday school kid. It wasn't good enough to have lived your whole life without committing any sin. No, if I need to build a testimony. So you go out and you start smoking like, uh, you know, or, or drinking or uh, chewing or, 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 or whatever, you know, or go with girls that chew, you know, whatever, whatever the case. And you got to build this testimony kind of thing. And, and so you start doing these kinds of things thinking, well, I'll come back to the Lord one of these days. And when I do, I'll have a better testimony and my resume will be better. What he's saying is, is that it would be much better for you to live your entire life in such a way. So that when you come to the end of your life and people uh, come by your casket and look in at you, that they will say, this was a man or a woman 
of great Christian integrity. They've, they've been known for it all of their lives. And so that's what he's saying here. He says it's, uh, the day of one's death should be better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. Now, what's he saying there? Well, if people celebrate when you die, it may mean that they're glad you're gone. You know what I'm saying? It may, it may mean that you've lived your life in such a way that when you're gone, everybody throws a big party and says, praise the Lord, I'll spring for it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do. Let's celebrate the fact that this guy is gone. He's saying it would be much better to be in a house of mourning where people are saying, you know, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss her. Uh, they, they were a person of integrity. They were a, per, a, a wonderful person. They made me laugh. They made me feel better about myself. They, they gave me wisdom at times when I needed uh, to, to have wisdom. And, and, and so it would be better for us to be able to go to a house of mourning and be able to see people that, that we're truly and genuinely going to miss because they impacted our lives in such a positive way rather than saying, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank God they're gone. We don't have to put up with them anymore. I don't know who you're thinking about right now, but get your mind out of the gutter and uh, get sanctified. Verse 3, grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Then verse 5 here is the key to what he just said. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. So in other words, it would be much better for me to come to your funeral, to your house of mourning, and to be able to say, you know, I'm indebted to that individual because they taught me so many things. I learned wisdom from them. I learned things from them that I would have never learned had it not been for them. I, I got people in my life that for whatever reasons, when Donna and I were young and just getting started out, they, they, they just saw something in us that they wanted to invest in. And they've been mentors to us and they've just kind of stood beside us and kind of, you know, urged us along. And, and now I'm seeing them getting to the place in their life where I know it won't be much longer that I'll have to go to the house of mourning because they're not going to be with us much longer. But I will tell you this, when I walk into that house of mourning, wherever that is, I will have to look at this individual and be grateful for what they have poured into my life and the wisdom that I gained from them and the knowledge. You know, we've all 
We've all got these relationships where really all it is about is just having a good time. It's just having a good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with getting together and playing cards and, and barbecuing outside and doing those kinds and just rejoicing and having a great time. But what he's really saying here is that the relationships that will mean the most to us over the course of a lifetime are those relationships where someone invested in us and made a difference. And you know, I'm looking at a lot of people in this room tonight that at this point in your life, what's the best way for me to say this? You're not as young as you used to be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're just, you're not a spring chicken anymore. Neither am I. I'm not as young as I used to be. Every time I go out here and see these guys playing basketball, they want me to join. Come on, pastor, play what? I'm, I'm smarter than that. You know, I would be like the guy with the bowling ball, you know, taking me to the hospital with chest pains because I, I've hurt myself somehow. But I, I have learned. But even though I'm not as young as I used to be, I still have a lot to offer. I, I still have a lot that I can give. And I see people out here tonight that though you may not be in the spring season of your life, you have so much wisdom that you can pour in to the young men and women of this church. And you may, you know, we forget sometimes that in that back building right now, at the same time that we're meeting here, there's probably 30, 35 young adults in, in the 2240 group back there that they're they're walking the path that many of you have already walked. And so you have a lot that you can invest. You know, there's, there's a couple of attitudes that I think that we can take. Number one is, well, I did my time. You know, when I was young, I, I did the bus routes and I led the choir and I did this and I did that and I taught Sunday school and I, and, and, and I watched the nursery and I did that. I did my time. Those days are over. And I'm not doing anything else. That's one mentality that we can have. Or we can say, I may not be able to do some of the physical things that I used to do, but I can invest in people in ways now that I couldn't have done 30 years ago because I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the ability to do it. But you have that ability now. And you you know, just the other day, Donna and I were talking about we're just talking about the church and talking about how that we're kind of in a... Our church is kind of different because we don't have a whole lot of middle-aged people in our church. We've got older people, we've got senior saints, and we've got young adults. But you get into that you know, 45, 55, 60 years of age, we've got a few, but we don't have a whole lot. And so there seems to be this gap sometimes between the two groups. And I remember in, in, you know, and Scripture talks about how that there are times when the older women need to link themselves to the younger women and instruct them and teach them things that they can only learn from you. And, and, and it, it's kind of one of those things that she and I are talking about right now is how can we connect these groups together and somehow... Uh, get the, the older men and women, the senior saints, uh, investing in and pouring into these younger adults 
so that they can have the wisdom and the knowledge that they need to move through these years in their lives and, and allow them to pick up the mantle, as it were, and, and to continue forward. So, he, so he's talking about, he said, listen, it's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Now, that's kind of what was wrong with me Sunday morning. And, I, and, you know, I hope I've been here long enough with you that you'll be patient with me from time to time when I'm in a place where I'm, I'm dealing with some things that you don't know anything about. But I'm dealing with people's souls and, and trying to help them to come from where they are to where they need to be. <clears throat> and if I were their parent, I might would want to whip their britches like my mom used to do me. You know, go out and cut yourself a switch, and it better not be some little thing that's going to break the first time I switch you. Because if I have to go out and get one, I'm going to switch you good. And there are times that spiritual leaders feel that same sense that I need to invest some wisdom in this individual or this family or this couple or this whatever the case may be. And you don't want to hurt people, but you want to say to them, you're never going to get better until you change what you are currently doing. Jesus did not die so that you could be comfortable. He died so that you would be conformable. There's a huge difference. He will take you like you are, but he will not leave you that way. <clears throat> but the only way that you will mature and, if you, and grow is like the writer said. He said, it's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person. I think I, I maybe have told you this story, but years ago, I was just starting in ministry. And I went to my first minister's meeting where I got to vote. And I was sitting, I positioned myself up where the microphones were because I was certain that I would need to say something at some point in that meeting. I, I was just sure of it. And sure enough, I saw the opportunity. And I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to say something right here that will change the direction and the course of this meeting and by virtue of the fact that it'll change this meeting, it will change the history of the Church of God in Illinois. And I'm thinking, man, I got this thing down, and I stepped up to the microphone, and I got ready, and I didn't get probably 10 or 15 words out of my mouth before one of the senior ministers in the state. His name was Jesse Wiggins. He's rejoicing with the Lord right now and listening to me tell this story was sitting there right in the same area and he reached up and grabbed my suit coat and I was dressed to the nines. I had on the black suit, white shirt, red tie. I mean, I was good to go. You know what I mean? He reaches up there and had the audacity to grab my suit coat and pulled me down and set me down beside him. And he said, shut your mouth. 
He said, you have no right and you do not have the influence to say what you're fixing to say. And he said, you don't need to say it at all. He said, sit right here beside me and don't you get up unless I tell you you can. Thank God for the rebuke of wise men and women in our lives that can keep us from doing stupid things that we know good and well we ought not be doing in the first place. And so that's clearly what he's talking about. I love verse 6 and this particular version. It says, For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. Did you ever get you some kindling wood and you put it, put it in the, the fire pot and you're getting ready to start that thing up? And how many of you know it doesn't take long for kindling to burn up? I mean, just like that. Oh, it makes a lot of noise. It, it jumps way up high real quick. I mean, you can see it and it, it man, it looks impressive. But kindling doesn't last very long. And if you haven't put the logs in there that will accept the impact of the kindling and build a fire that will last and a fire that has caught onto the wood that will fuel that fire for a long time, then you got nothing and it will not last long. My dad taught me how to build a fire, right? I know how to build them, and I know how to get up in the, in the next morning. And you don't have to restart the fire because there's already, there's already coals in there that will do the job if you will just flat fan them back up and put the proper fuel on there. And so what he's saying here is, is that if, if you, all you do is just walk around and laugh and cut up and, and, and you can't be counted on for anything serious and anything that has any power or anything that has any influence at all, oh, you may get a few laughs from now and now. You, you may get a few people applauding you and say, oh, what a good personality they have. He said, but what, what is better is rather than being like the crackling little kindling pieces of wood, you need to be the log that has the ability to catch fire with the Holy Spirit and influence not just a little bit of flame, but a heat that will drive and bring, and bring comfort to those who are sitting by the fire. So it, it, for the, like the crackling of burning thorns under the, the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. He said it's futile. Verse 7. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe destroys the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Let's, let's stop just for a moment. You know, that word extortion there. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool. Extortion is typically gaining riches and primarily money through means that, that are not suitable. They're, they're not pure. The motive behind is, is not correct. And so it's extortion. 
He said, the practice of extortion turned someone who at one point was a wise individual, but it turns them into a fool. How many of you ever had anybody get you or try to get you involved? And I, I call them pyramid schemes. I, I don't know what else to call them other than that. You know, if you'll just, if you'll just buy this kit, man, you'll be a millionaire within 24 hours. You sell them to your family and sell it to your friends. And if you can stack up underneath me, I'm telling you, we can make money and then you'll make money and they'll make money and we'll have so much money that they'll, we'll run for president one day because we'll be a billionaire. I, you know, and every time, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm just old school, but I was taught that you got to work for your money. It doesn't, nothing comes easy. No, nothing happens quite that easy. And not only that, I've seen so many people get burned by those kinds of things that I just don't want anything to do with it. But that's why he's talking about those kinds of things, the idea that, man, I can make a lot of money. I, I, get, I get tickled at Walter because Walter's all the time telling me, he said, Pastor, he said, he said if I ever did play, play the lottery, if I ever did play it, he said, I'd only have to buy one ticket because the Lord would let me win. He, he said, if I, if I ever bought one ticket, I'd win it. And he's already told me, he said, he'd pay the church off and buy the property next door and the one next door and all that. But, but you know, and, and he, you know, we're kidding with each other and, we, and that kind of thing. But how many people are there in the world that spend their grocery money buying lottery tickets because they believe that one of these days they're going to hit it big. And when they hit it big, they'll have it all. Uh, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And what will happen is, is it'll turn wise people into fools. Verse 8, the end of the matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Somebody not long ago <laughs> said to me, they saw a picture of me when I was... 25 or 30, maybe, maybe even younger. And, and you didn't know me then, but I was real skinny. When we got married, I wore a size 29 waist. I was skinny. I, I, you, could, you could count my ribs. I was just, I was skinny. I just was. I was born that way. But as you can see, I've corrected that problem. But, I, you know, and you know that I, you know, I don't have my real teeth. I had problems when I was, I was younger, and, and so I, I, you know, I have to buy my teeth. I'm different than you. But, but anyway, I just, my teeth were all crooked. They went this way and that way and this way and every which way. And, and you know, it, it was once I got the corn in my mouth, I couldn't get it out. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of that kind of thing. It's just bad. And, and they saw this picture of me. And then they saw a picture of me now, and, and they were trying to compliment me. They really were, but they said, you look much better now than you did then. And I thought, well, that was kind of an underhanded compliment, wasn't it? What they were saying was, I was an ugly kid. You know what I mean? They, got, they should have just said, you were an ugly kid. Well, I was an ugly kid, but they didn't have to bring it up, you know. One of these days, I guess when my life is over, I'm going to be better than I've ever been before. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Then verse 9, don't let your spirit rush to be angry. 
For anger abides in the heart of fools. We've got a lot of anger in the United States of America today. There's a lot of anger. And it doesn't take long to light the fuse. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, and listen, I, I know we've got problems in the United States. We do. And we need some solutions. I don't know where they're going to come from. I can pretty well tell you where they're not going to come from. But we've got some problems that need solutions. But violence on the streets and shooting one another is not the answer. We, we've got to find some answers. And he said, don't let your spirit rush to be angry. Did you ever know anybody that, I mean, they could get mad just like that? I mean, just boom, they're mad. Boom, they're ready to fight. I mean, it, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of provocation to get somebody stirred up. Because their, their spirit, their, and, and they well... I'm just that way. My daddy was that way. My, my mama was that way. Ah, don't give me that junk. When you come into Christ, the scripture says that you become a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You are not bound to the problems and to the personality dysfunctions of your family. You don't have to say, I am this way because my family was. It may be that you have some tendencies that you picked up from your family, but through God, all things are possible, and you can overcome those things if you will work at it, and if you allow the Word of God to rise up within you. And one of the things that we can get control of is this idea to rush to get angry. Now, you know, I don't know if you're... Democrat or Republican or if you're a, a Trumpite or a Clintonite or whatever but they came into the debate last night was it last night Monday night what's today praise God thank you for that I needed some 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 rebuke from the wise because I forgot what day their strategy the Clinton side their strategy was to make Trump mad so that he would lose his cool and say things that didn't need to be said. And for the most part, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Now, I'm not saying, am I for him? Am I against him? Am I for her? Am I against her? I'm just saying that here is a real-time example of someone that they'd be much better off if they could just learn how to be patient and not be angry so quickly and instead stop and think about it and consider all of the options and then make a choice that is consistent with wisdom and consistent with the Word of God. For anger abides in the heart of fools. Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So if it's in there, it's, it, it, it's probably going to come out. Verse 10. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Because it's not wise of you to ask this. 
Now, again, we're in the proverbial section here of Ecclesiastes where it seems like you just jump from, from subject to subject to subject to subject. You almost think that you're, you're reading the book of Proverbs rather than the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's what he's saying here. Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I long for the way that it used to be? I don't. There's, there's very little about the way things used to be that I want to go back to. I like refrigerators. I, I like air conditioning. I'm glad we don't have to come to church and have funeral fans and go like this all through the service. I'm glad we don't have to get uh, sawdust between our toes when we come to the brush arbor for church. Uh, if you like that, praise God for you. Bless your soul. But I don't, I don't care anything about going back. No, you know, occasionally it's all right. Let's throw our bib overalls and ride our horses to church and, and, and you know, get, get, buckle up the oxen and come on. I, you know, we, we can do that every now and then to know where we came from. But it's interesting to me how we want the church to go back, but we don't really want to go back in our lives. We like our cars. We like GPS. We like, we like those kinds of things. And so he's saying it's not even wise to think like that. I wish I was a young man again. I don't. I was stupid when I was young. I was, I really, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare, Sister Baker. You keep your mouth quiet right now. I don't want to go back. And look at my kids. They're both grown. They got kids of their own. I, there's not a day that I think, I wish we could go back to the days when Jonathan was little and Aaron was little. I wish. No. We had to work too long and too hard to get them where they are now. I don't want to go back and do it all over again. I don't. But he's saying if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in this mentality and this attitude I just want to go back to the old days. I, I just want to go back to the way things were. I, I just want to go back and let John Kennedy be the president again. Oh, I, I, I wish Richard Nixon could come back. I, oh, Ronald Reagan. Oh, if we just had Ronald Reagan again. He's saying it's not even wise to think in those kinds of terms. Why would it not be wise? Because if we could actually go back to those days, think of all that we would have to give back in order to go back. We would have to trade all the wisdom that we've learned in the last five or ten years. We'd have to give it all back. Some of the, some of the things that we, have, we fought so hard for to get our kids prayed through, and back to victory. And back to walking with the Lord. We'd have to trade all that and let them go back to those days living in sin and doing the things they were doing so that we could just go back to those days. I don't have any desire to go back to those days. And the other thing is, is that if we're always looking at what's over our shoulder, then we'll miss everything that God has for us in the future. One preacher illustrated it like this, and I like it a lot. If you want to know what God's priorities are, just look at your car 
The rear view mirror is this little bitty mirror right up here. Just a small little window to look into. But the front windshield is big with great opportunity. And that's the way it is in life. We sometimes get stuck in this little bitty mode. And it's like, oh, I remember those days. That was so good. That, that's cute. And it's good, it's good to relive those days. It's, it's okay to, to think of those days as fondness, fondly. It's okay to, to think about the wisdom that we gained from that situation. But let's not go back. It's not even wisdom. Because God has so much more in store for us in the future. And going back is simply not wise. Verse 11, wisdom is as good as an inheritance. In other words, it's better to have wisdom than it is to have money that somebody can give you. And an advantage to those who see the sun. Notice here, he's talking about wisdom. And the advantage that we have in wisdom, like those who see the sun. When you're in darkness, when the sun is down, you're in darkness, you can't see everything. There, there are certain things that your eyes can't pick up, even if you've been outside for a long time. E even if the moon is reflecting the sun brightly, there, there are things that you cannot see at night that you can see in the day when the sun is shining. And so he's saying it, it. wisdom is as good as an inheritance. And wisdom is an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection. As money is protection. And the advantage of knowledge is, the wis is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. I'm not going to get done, so I, I'll just stop when I get done. How's that? I, I, since I've moved to Louisville, I've, I've noticed something that I've never seen anywhere else. I don't think ever anywhere else ever. But it's right down here at the corner by the Walgreens. When you, when you go down that direction and you come to the stoplight and the people who are on the other side... And they're getting ready to come this direction. When the light changes, they just start coming. They, they don't yield to anybody. I was always taught that if I'm sitting here and I'm going straight across, I have the right of way to go first. Or if I'm going to turn right, I have the right of way to turn right before they pull out here. It's the only place in the world where they do it. But when the light changes... They just start turning left. They don't care if there's cars coming, going, right, straight, whatever. I'm turning left. And if you get in my way, I will hit you, I promise. I've sat there for I don't know how long before, and I've said to Donna, I said, look at that. Can, look at that. Can, can you look at that? It's my turn. I should be able to go. <laughs> But we get in these habits and we, and, we, and we don't even think about what is wise. And what he's talking about here is that wisdom protects. Now, if I wanted to, I could say, I don't care. When that light turns, I'm going. If I have to hit 14 cars, I'm going because it's right. 
It's my turn. I have the law on my side. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. I'm going. But no matter how much gumption I get up and no matter how much courage I get up, when the light turns and they start coming, wisdom kicks in. And I sit right there at the stoplight until they have finished and then I turn. And that's what he's talking about. It doesn't matter if it seems right to you. It doesn't matter if it is right. It doesn't matter if it's the thing that should be. He's saying sometimes wisdom has to prevent you from doing what is right because if you do what is right at the wrong time, it will still bring difficulty into your lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for Ecclesiastes. And I thank you that these passages of Scripture have been given to us by your Holy Spirit to make us stronger, to build our faith, to help us and cause us to become people of wisdom. I pray that you'll help us to apply them effectively to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.